people should be given a platform to be able to contribute actively on the way they are being governed and to be able to contribute actively uh, in, in the development of the country. So Pabuaro, we could mobilize uh, people to discuss different topics uh, and how best each and everyone in the country can be involved in the development and the democratization process of the country. The Democracy in Practice series by Club de Madrid gathers the voices of democratic former presidents and prime ministers who leverage their individual and collective leadership experience to strengthen inclusive democratic practice today to better deliver towards the well-being of people around the world. Welcome to Club de Madrid podcast series, Democracy in Practice. The interview of today is part of Political Voices for Inclusion, uh, an initiative from Club de Madrid in collaboration with uh, Charter Project Africa. I'm Diego Gitano, Program Officer at Club de Madrid. And in this episode, we reflect on the topic of inclusive leadership and youth participation. Today, we are joined by Mr. Timothy Pagonacci Tambo, former Minister for Civic Education and National Unity in Malawi, and Mr. Lennon Munye, Youth Liaison Officer and Researcher of the African Peer Review Mechanism, a specialized institution of the African Union with the mandate of promoting democracy and good governance. Mr. Mtambo and Mr. Munye, it is a pleasure to have you both with us today. Thank you. Thank you, my brother, for having us. Uh, Mr. Mtambo, before starting uh, our interview, I would like to remember that a few weeks ago, in early March 2023, uh, tropical second Freddy hit Malawi, causing um, severe flooding in many districts, causing the displacements of thousands of people and damage to infrastructure and property. Uh, right now, the situation is particularly devastating for vulnerable communities. Um, who are at risk of being left behind. Um, can you tell us more about the current response in the country and the current recovery efforts in Malawi? And how can leaders ensure that these efforts are inclusive, taking into account the needs of the most vulnerable? Thank you so much, um, Diego. Uh, indeed, Malawi has suffered a very historical and damaging um, cyclone Freddy. Uh, the past few years, we have been having cyclones, but we have never had this damage of this extent. As I speak, thousands and thousands have been left homeless. Uh, roads and infrastructure have been damaged, including schools, including hospitals, including clinics. And as this happened, it happened during the rainy season. At the time, people were expecting to, to have uh, their crops mature in the fields all these crops have been washed away. And you know what that means? It means our people are going to suffer uh, big time when it comes to uh, uh, food shortage. Just to give a little bit of statistics, about 2.3 million people have been affected. 1.6 million uh, of people severely in need of food. We have actually, uh, over 650,000 people displaced. They're just living in camps as we speak. And over 600,000, I mean, over 600 deaths have been recorded. 
And some people are still missing up to now. And uh, in fact, uh, the cyclones affected mostly the southern part of Malawi. And uh, there are many, many efforts from different stakeholders. When the president of the republic declared uh, a state of disaster, um, um, and um, you know, many stakeholders have come in, uh, development partners, different governments uh, from uh, 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 the neighboring countries, as well as foreign governments uh, from Europe, United States, and others. Uh, in fact, uh, we 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 as a country are very thankful that uh, different stakeholders have, have have been so generous enough to come to hold our hands together. The president launched uh, an initiative that everyone should be involved and everyone should participate. Indeed, it should be understood that every time there is uh, a crisis of that nature, that different pe people different people are affected at different levels. Therefore, any kind of response must be inclusive and must recognize the fact that the specific uh, groups that are even more vulnerable, for instance, the youth, um, I mean, children, women, and persons with disabilities. Therefore, uh, uh, as we respond to this, we have to know that we have a long way of reconstruction. As I spoke, schools were washed out. It means even the pupils, the students uh, lost even their school materials. So as we are responding, sometimes we'll just be thinking of food. But I think we need also to be mindful that uh, there might be other needs. For instance, uh, uh, school materials for, for, for the pupils so that they, they are not affected uh, even academically. And we know women are struggle even to, to get water, even to get hospital facilities, considering the fact that uh, um, our country uh, is still struggling in terms of um, um, uh, infrastructure, uh, especially in rural areas. Therefore, I think it will require much stakeholder approach that all of us should have a master plan of how we are going to help our people and how we are going to reconstruct uh, uh, the, the the infrastructure that has been affected. Therefore, this will help to, to basically that uh, our initiative are all inclusive and no one is left behind. Therefore, civil society, uh, different institutions, including government, must hold hands together so that they're responding to a collective master plan of how to rebuild and assist the victims. Um, my solid, uh, thank you so much, Jago. Um, Again, it's an honor to be here. My solidarity um, uh, goes out uh, to the people of Malawi, but we must also not forget Mozambique. We know Malawi is, um, um, got um, um, the worst of um, cyclone uh, Freddy. Um, I, I also want to take the opportunity to thank um, the government of Malawi for uh, being fast in responding to the crisis as well as the international community, but in particular the Sadak region for coming really to assist the people of Malawi. We saw um, um, uh, the president of Zambia, Tanzania, as well as other countries coming in uh, to give uh, agent relief to the people of uh, uh, Malawi and Mozambique. Um, I think um, climate change 
is really affecting um, um, uh, our countries, especially those um, in Southern Africa, like never before. We're seeing more tropical cyclones um, um, uh, hitting our countries and causing um, untold uh, disasters. So we, um, um, as young people, particularly working in, um, uh, in policy change, need to work um, to make sure that our countries are ready um, uh, for these disasters. We had the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, and we realized that our countries were, did not really have resilience uh, for these shocks and disasters. So I think working with um, the international community, the African Union, the Union, and the Red Cross, we need to give more uh, support to um, Malawi and Mozambique, especially now that um, um, uh, we have uh, cases of cholera that is um, um, uh, causing um, um, challenges to, to people on the ground. So as much as we're appreciate the support that's already been given. More uh, humanitarian um, um, uh, support is needed. As my brother um, um, uh, Timothy explained that um, uh, young people are going um, without food, um, uh, young people are not going to school, and especially those uh, that um, are vulnerable women, those living with disabilities are receiving the worst of uh, this disaster. So um, I hope um, the international community and especially uh, neighboring countries can continue supporting the people of Malawi. Thank you both for giving us thoughtful insights and perspective and updates on the current situation on Malawi. Now, going back to the focus of our interview, uh, Mr. Mtambo, up until recently, you have served as the Minister for Civic Education and National Unity in the Malawi government. Uh, could you share with us some concrete actions and steps that you undertook when trying to promote inclusive leadership during your time as cabinet minister? Indeed, um, I was privileged to be a minister of national unity, civic education and peace in Malawi, the first of its kind in our history. And uh, this ministry was very, very strategic because civic education and civic empowerment is very crucial when it comes to the promotion of inclusive leadership and open societies. It's only citizens who are civically empowered who appreciate and understand the rights, responsibilities, and duties because civic education entails an interface between obligations on the part of the state, responsibilities, and the rights on the part of citizens. As a minister of civic education and national unity, the first thing I started with is basically to make sure that we have uh, a solid legal and policy framework that should governize matters of civic education, national unity, and peace in the country. Our country is a kind of a polarized nation, which is a multicultural and multi-ethnic. And uh, it is a multi-party, uh, pluralistic kind of uh, 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 country where you have different people, different beliefs, different agendas. You need infrastructures and structures that would make sure that uh, the people are united regardless of the differences, but they should be able to celebrate the differences. Therefore, under the, uh, the, the, the civic education uh, uh, forum, what I did as a minister is to come up with a, um, um, a comprehensive national civic education policy, which never existed. And this provides platforms of civic engagement and the civic awareness to the citizens, where we create different structures, uh, recognizing 
that we have different groupings in the country and everyone and everybody's voice is fundamental. The first thing I created is to create the government and citizen engagement forum. The government citizen engagement forum, which we called Pabuaro in the local language, uh, it was meant to promote the voices of different individuals uh, to bring government closer to the people and vice versa. We, I believed as a leader that uh, uh, people should be given a platform to be able to contribute actively on the way they are being governed and to be able to contribute actively uh, in, in the development of the country. So Pabuaro, we could mobilize uh, people to discuss different topics uh, and how best each and everyone in the country can be involved in the development and the democratization process of the country. For instance, we'll discuss disability rights, we'll discuss the rights of persons with the uh, urbanism, we'll, we'll discuss uh, corruption and how best we can work together inclusively as citizens to uh, handle that. I, I strongly believed in listening, whatever agenda we are doing, we made sure that everyone is included and the, uh, uh, we, we believed in consultations because it's through consultations that you can promote inclusive leadership. And as a minister, I believe that anything that I'm doing, I start engaging my team. And when they understand the vision and direction, then we start expanding, engaging different stakeholders across the country. Mr. Munye, talking about inclusion, the mission of the African peer review mechanism is to promote the African Union's ideals, the African Union's shared values of democratic governance and inclusive development of all member states, uh, which are right now the current challenges, especially for the implementation of the African Youth Charter. Thank you so much, Diego, for that question. But before I answer, allow me to congratulate um, um, my older brother, um, um, Minister Timothy, for the great work that he's doing in Malawi. Um, you might recall in 2017, um, the African Union um, um, had the Year of Youth um, under a theme called Democrat, um, um, harnessing the democratic demographic dividends through investments in, in youth. It was Malawi that tabled uh, that motion and it was accepted by African governments to um, uh, make sure that uh, young people really form part and parcel of the governance of this continent. Um, the African Union Youth Charter um, is a legal instrument that gives young people uh, rights um, uh, as well as responsibilities African Union member states, including Malawi, um, have signed up to um, uh, this instrument, which um, then uh, compels them um, to set up uh, certain um, um, institutions in their countries, such as the uh, National Youth Council. In other countries, it's also called the National Youth Commission. These um, institutions uh, assist young people, especially those that are in rural areas and suburban areas, to access um, government and um, to get training and mentorship. Unfortunately, on the African continent, um, little uh, resources have been spent as far as national budget uh, for issues that concern youth, such as uh, civic education, as well as training. So um, uh, my, my plea uh, to African leaders um, uh, and development partners um, um, working with institutions such as 
um, uh, Club Madrid is more effort needs to be taken uh, to fund young people's initiatives, uh, institutions that, such as the National Youth Councils to get to young people to know their rights, to get young people to understand the constitutions, to get young people to actually participate um, uh, in the activities of the country. Uh, get young people to be active citizens, citizens that can be able to contribute positively in the development of their countries. Um, as things stand, um, the African Youth Charter does not have universal uh, accession. So there are some countries on the African continent that have not yet signed up to the African Youth Charter. So we need um, um, uh, advocacy for it. Uh, we need to show good experiences, such as the experience that Malawi has with beautiful initiatives, such as Babuaro that um, 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 Minister Timothy has introduced to be shared and replicated in other African countries so that we can get young people to finally contribute to the development of Africa um, in the spirit of the um, Agenda 2063, as well as the UN um, Sustainable Development Goals. Remaining on the issue of uh, vulnerable groups, Mr. Mtambo, throughout your career, uh, you founded several organizations, you coordinated several initiatives that promote inclusion and participation. Uh, could you give us some example of how these initiatives contributed to reduce social division and promoted the rights of vulnerable groups such as women, youth, and minorities? Uh, thank you so much. Just um, to um, also commend my brother Leon, Leonard for the great job they're doing up there. In fact, uh, instruments, regional instruments and international instruments are very prominent uh, tools that we use as citizens to advocate uh, for, uh, for the promotion of virtues and values um, of human rights, and basically also to use them as, as tools that we hold governments accountable. So I can I can assure you, my brother, that um, I, I I am so passionate uh, when it comes to these mechanisms, and I've engaged in these processes for a long time, and I strongly believe that um, uh, every country uh, must commit to this, and uh, we must, uh, as young people, uh, rise to the occasion to promote such ideals. Indeed, uh, Diego, uh, throughout my life, I've, I've stood up for social um, uh, justice, uh, human rights issues. Um, I became a, an executive director of Social Center for Human Rights and Rehabilitation at a very uh, tender age. And at that time, uh, we, the Center for Human Rights and Rehabilitation uh, was championing uh, different um, uh, rights for different groups, including um, minority groups. Um, we we have we have uh, implemented a number of programs promoting uh, women empowerment and, uh, uh, in fact, programs promoting the rights of children. Uh, we have contributed to a number of policy uh, reviews. Uh, in as far as the rights of children and women are concerned. Uh, we have even litigated on a number of issues uh, involving the rights of minorities. We have even contributed 
to the rights of uh, the, the, the prisoners, uh, including the rights of, um, uh, you know, persons with albinism. You might have be you might be aware that there was a moment that uh, the rights of the persons with albinism in the country became endangered. I personally uh, mobilize all the persons with disabilities. I mean, persons with albinism, and we had to hold a government accountable for the government to realize and make sure that they must provide full security for the uh, persons uh, with albinism. And uh, you know the, the the specific groups of the so in, within the society that people uh, feel like they're not important, and uh, if the government is reluctant to to protect them, they become even more vulnerable. For instance, the minorities, the LGBTIQ. I, I remember uh, it was not easy in a country like ours to stand up for the rights of persons. Oh, um, I mean LGBTIQ. Uh, you know, people would be basically literally point fingers at you and people would basically literally condemn you, look at you like you are a devil. But, uh, you know, when you are a true defender of rights and uh, a person who believes that every person is important and every voice is important, you stand up by the virtues regardless of how difficult the situation is. Um, throughout my life, I've stood up for social uh, justice, and um, I've, I've been a human rights defender, and I've created different structures for the promotion of human rights and social justice. Um, for instance, I became a, a, an executive director of the leading human rights organization in my Center for Human Rights and Rehabilitation, where I've done uh, a lot of engagements in the promotion of the voices for persons with disabilities, women, children and even persons with albinism uh we have had a lot of challenges persons with albinism were being killed and we had to say enough and we had to rise to the occasion to demand accountability from government for full protection of persons with albinism and we are happy for now uh the cases uh are stopped at least our people are safe and uh maybe one of the major issues that i would like to say there are some people that would want to stand up for others or the voices of others but sometimes they become selective and i've seen the many stakeholders who have worked together to promote the voices of women uh children uh, uh and the, uh, even the prisoners however there are groupings like the lgbtiqs it has been so difficult for people to, to voice on their behalf. Most of them were denied even to go to the hospital. Most of them were denied even to go uh, to schools. Uh, you know, uh, after knowing them that this is their sexual orientation. So uh, my organization rose to the occasion to basically stand up for the rights of them. We, we believe every human being uh, deserves to be treated with dignity. So uh, on, on that basis, I've, I've always decided to create structures and platforms where the voices of the vulnerable groups can be amplified. Uh, much as I was a, an executive director of Center for Human Rights and Rehabilitation, I also created uh, the Human Rights Defenders Coalition. The Human Rights Defenders Coalition is, is, is the biggest human rights social movement that led Malawians to stand up for different rights altogether. We have even been in courts 
we have done a lot of litigation on behalf of the voiceless, on behalf of the LGBTI, on behalf of those who are victimized uh, in many ways, including corruption. So we uh, have been creating these structures as platforms where citizens can be able to voice their voices. And when when I, 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 there was an electoral challenge in, in the country, we rose to the occasion to demand accountability until the elections were nullified and democracy uh, prevailed at that time. And later on, I had to transit to form a political movement, which is Citizens for Transformation Movement. I believe that at the center of any successive movement, there must be citizens. And the biggest strategy is basically civic empowerment. You need to empower citizens so that they should be able to craft their own destiny, to craft their own future, to shape their own destiny. And this is what we stand for. And in the meantime, we have also developed a structure. This is what we call the League of Transformation Foundation. That is also reaching out, as we're speaking right now, we're reaching out to people, the victims on the ground uh, due to cyclones, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in, in as far as uh, building uh, an inclusive voice, building open societies, I strongly believe in building structures which can harness or promote a corrective voice uh, of different individuals and citizens. And we can say right now, citizens of Malawi can say that these structures that we created and we worked together have, have, have empowered their voices. And right now they can stand tall and demand accountability on corruption issues, on access to justice and various uh, maladministration uh, activities that might be happening in the country. Talking about vulnerable groups and youth, Mr. Munye, what is the status of youth participation in democracy and good governance on the African continent right now? Thank you, um, um, Diego. The African continent um, uh, has a challenge um, of um, young people not um, um, uh, standing up uh, to be public representatives, uh, not because they can't, but there isn't enough space for uh, young people to um, to be able to be elected because um, um, standing up for elections um, at times in certain countries, there uh, there's barriers. Um, a, a number of years ago um, in Nigeria, there was a movement uh, called Not Too Young to Run, where young people actually requested the government to reduce certain age limits um, uh, that were uh, stopping young people to actually run. Uh, to be able to be nominated in certain political parties, you need to have good fathers or good mothers with lots of monies to be able to fund your political campaign. So situations where you see young people, such as my brother Timothy, um, being able to uh, get into the political space and being um, able to run ministries um, are actually very new. Um, Lately, we're starting to see governments uh, um, uh, appointing presidential aides on youth affairs. Um, um, the African Union itself has um, um, uh, started appointing youthful ambassadors. You have the AU Youth Envoy, uh, the second one, that has um, uh, been doing great work in advoc uh, advocating for young people's participation in democracy and good governance. Um, you also have regional um, um, uh, institutions 
that are actively working to promote uh, young people's participation uh, in democracy and good governance. However, it's not an African issue alone. Statistics uh, show that um, uh, young people under the age of 30 only make 2% of the world's uh, members of parliament. Uh, just over 30% of uh, the world's uh, lower houses have, um, um, have no MPs at all. Um, so it's not only an African issue, it's a global issue where uh, young people are not trusted with political office. And if you see the experiences um, of countries um, um, uh, in Africa where young people are given um, um, uh, a chance to lead you see innovative ideas. Um, this podcast uh, with uh, explanations from um, uh, uh, Minister Matambo, you can see young people have smart ideas, innovative ideas to actually make sure that um, inclusive participation of not only young people, but of women, of uh, people living with disabilities, of marginalized uh, communities, ethnic minorities, um, um, so I think a lot of work on the African continent needs to be done to actually make sure that young people participate, especially when it comes to actually voting as well, because um, um, young people in most countries are staying away from um, uh, elections. Um, uh, a common um, uh, perception uh, that um, uh, commentators and experts are saying is that um, young people are not seeing the dividends of democracy. Uh, young people do not um, um, get any economic benefit from just going to cast a ballot. So we need to make sure that uh, participation of young people in democracy in, um, uh, has um, uh, benefits. They need to see um, uh, politicians and government officials that make sure that, that their livelihoods are uplifted. Otherwise, we will continue seeing young people staying away from the polls, young people not being able to stand um, for local uh, government uh, as well as national government, even at a continental scale, um, young people uh, not being given um, um, roles um, uh, to play to make sure that Africa um, achieves uh, its um, uh, developmental uh, goals uh, set in Agenda 2063. We are near now the end of this interview, and um, I would like to ask you both, what's your vision for the future of African leadership and how can African leaders increase political participation, incorporating the perspective of marginalized group or vulnerable groups into policymaking? In fact, um, in Africa, we do not lack policies. We do not lack laws. We do not lack initiatives. Most of our programs are properly crafted. When you look at the African Charter and you, you read the UN Charter, you'd really feel like the African Charter was properly, properly written. But our biggest disease in Africa is basically implementation, enforcement, and accountability. All these things said, we, my brother was talking about uh, uh, the African vision 2063. You read the blueprint, very innovative ideas. But after 15 years or 20 years, 30 years, you'll find that we're still revolving at one point. Because we write good things, 
but we do not act. If I was basically to submit strongly, and on this, uh, I strongly believe that this should be the direction moving forward. The word should be action, action, action. Involvement, involvement. The youth must be involved, knowing that our continent has come a long way. But when we are to point as at what change we are able to see, less can be celebrated at. Therefore, it's high time that we, the youth, must rise to the occasion and must also demand that any impediments to our involvement and participation must be repealed. We must hold each other's hands and we must be able to uh, uh, encourage exchange visits that these countries should start running from each other. You can see some countries that are actually progressing very fast uh, in terms of development, for example. You talk of Rwanda, it's moving very fast. And uh, you know these are the countries that basically we need to be running from each other. So for me, what I can literally say that we need to be action oriented. Things have been put on paper, beautiful things in our continental vision. But I think it's high time we started uh, making sure that whatever we write, we implement. And citizens, even the youth, the message I always tell most of my fellow young people, we shouldn't be uh, in the receiving hand end. We have to be actively involved and we must make sure that we are demanding accountability and any platform where leaders of the continent are meeting, we have to be there. When AU is meeting, we have to be actively there on the side meetings, presenting petitions, presenting our resolutions as young people on how best we think Africa can move forward, on, and, uh, on how best we, we, we think, uh, you know, we can promote inclusive policies that can promote and consolidate democracies in our country, countries, I mean. As for me, um, I have three words coming to mind when I think of the future of um, African leadership. Uh, one, one word is meritocracy, where we trust those that uh, have tried and tested um, our skills to actually lead and make sure that our countries and our continent uh, move forward. Um, I liked what uh, um, um, Minister Matambo was saying that, um, yes, he's now a minister, but before this, uh, this is my track record of things that I've been able to achieve. I've led here, I've introduced this and that. So we need um, leaders that are tried and tested. Um, so meritocracy is very important. We also need transformative leaders, leaders that have a vision, um, um, uh, leaders that can take our, uh, our continent forward with the interest of ordinary people in Africa at heart. And lastly, we need Pan-African um, um, leaders um, because we have so many ideologies and uh, so many thinkings, uh, especially as young people, but we should go back to um, um, Pan-Africanism, um, um, the urgent quest and need to see an Africa that is united, an Africa that is economically developed, an Africa that is free of conflict, an Africa that is free of tribalism, and in Africa 
that is moving forward and playing its right its rightful role in the international community. So that's uh, the vision uh, that I really have for African leaders, especially young people that are coming in and that are taking over power uh, in um, um, the different African countries. Thank you, Mr. Mtambo, Mr. Muniet. It's been a real pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you for, I would like to thank you for sharing with us your insights on Malawi, on the African continent, and thank you for raising awareness on the value of inclusive leadership. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Diego, for inviting us and uh, uh, having us. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to the podcast Democracy in Practice. See you at the next episode.